You guys can go ahead and be seated. My name's Paul. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I'm the lead pastor here at Gulfside, and I'm so glad that you're spending this Sunday with us as we prepare for Thanksgiving. It is time to get the shopping moving. It is time to do all the things that have to be done that wear us out and make us angry about this holiday that we celebrate thankfulness on, all right? And so as we have this natural compulsion to get upset about the extra dishes and the people who were late and the people who brought the wrong dish or the wrong, they made it the wrong way, they know the way I like, as we prepare for all of that, I just want to focus our hearts a little bit on gratitude and what scripture teaches about gratitude. And to get our mind flowing a little bit, I want to share with you some examples of gratitude uh, that children wrote to parents and teachers. And if we can go to the first thank you card. Um, These are great examples of gratitude that you can apply to your life. Thank you, mom, for making me food so I don't die. Isn't that just a simple but sweet expression? Go ahead and go to the next one. Thank you, Emily, for my thing. I don't know what it is, but thank you. I'm sure mom didn't force that card to get written at all. Go on to the next one. Dear grandma and grandpa, thanks for what you got me. Love Dylan. P.S. I forgot what you got me. (laughs) He tried. You tried, Dylan. I love it. All right, go on to the next one. This is a goodbye to a teacher. Goodbye, Miss James. Thank you for always helping me. I am sad I am leaving. I will miss you. You are kind. My dad likes you, and he doesn't even like mom, so you must be nice. (laughs) I think that card may have exposed an issue in their family life. Go on to the next one. Um, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Older sisters are like that, okay? Yeah, hi, Michelle, my sister. All right, um, go on to the next one. Thank you for the amazing squirt gun that I will shoot you with, Scott. Yeah. Um, Dear Sue, (laughs) thank you for the graduation gift. Also, thank you for dating my dad. We really didn't think anyone would. Like, seriously, I can't express my gratitude enough. Best wishes, Kyle. Thank you, Mom, for being wonderful and caring and for not making your meatloaf anymore. It's a good one leading up for Thanksgiving. Now, I have to read this one from my iPad because it's a little harder to, to read, but hang with me here. Here we go. Dear Mr. Raymond, thank you for coming to our school and teaching us about weather. Someday when I become supreme ultra lord of the universe, I will not make you a slave. You will live in my 200-story castle where unicorn servants will feed you donuts off of their horns. This kid went to town. I will personally make you a throne that is half platinum and half solid gold and jewel encrusted. Thank you again for teaching us about meteorology. You're awesome, more awesome than a monkey wearing a tuxedo made out of bacon, riding a cyborg unicorn with a lightsaber for the horn on the tip of a space shuttle, closing in on Mars while engulfed in flames. And in case you didn't know, that's pretty dang sweet. Sincerely, Flint. P.S. Look on the back for a drawing. Some thank yous are flawed. <laughs> some, don't come away the, 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 some don't come across the way that you would want them to or expect them to. Sometimes you think that you're doing a great job with your thank you note and you kind of miss the mark. And sometimes you think you're killing it and you have completely missed what you should be thanking the person for. But I want to tell you that whenever we 
receive some level of gratitude from someone, even if it's imperfect, isn't that so much better than someone that you did something for, you poured their time, your time into, you poured your concern into, and they just seem like it didn't matter at all? I mean, we know from our experiences that any measure of gratitude has value. And we, we quickly apply that to other people, but we get so frozen that we feel like if I can't get just the perfect, most beautiful thank you put together that is gonna just pull tears out of their eyes and it's gonna make them question their whole existence of how they ever lived without this thank you card. Like if I can't write that thank you card, then I may as well not do anything. And so that's what so much of our culture has done. We have not expressed gratitude. Because we feel like if I can't just get the highest measure of it, then I, just, I should just do nothing. Because if I can't do it perfect, I'm going to do nothing at all. And I want to tell you, it's not good for your soul to withhold gratitude. And last week, last week's message, whoever preached that message, that was a good message. You should listen to it. The, the passage that we looked at was a strong passage that taught us that we should be grateful in all circumstances. We should express thankfulness in all circumstances. And in fact, it was as strong, that passage was as strong to say that it is the will of God for believers in Christ to express gratitude. I mean, like that, that is straightforward instruction and command. And today we're gonna, we're gonna build on that, looking at the example in scripture. If you have your Bible with us, you can go, go ahead and turn to Luke 17, starting at verse 11. And this is the story of the 10 lepers. And Jesus is in the middle of his ministry and he's, and he's going and he has this interaction that was somewhat unplanned. This wasn't, this wasn't a stop at a temple. This wasn't a stop where people would normally receive healing at this point, but it was an interaction starting at verse 11. And it says, as Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered the village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This, was, this man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, as this passage deals with leprosy, which is uncommon in our culture today, and in fact, there's disagreement uh, among different biblical scholars and commentators and, and physicians as far as what disease today was leprosy then. Like there's, there's different forms of leprosy, there's different bacteria, there's, there's different viruses that were going on, and, and there's disagreement about which one, but we have some clear descriptions of the sickness called leprosy in scripture that we're dealing with here. And, and I want to go into a little bit of it because without understanding some of the disease, we don't understand what these men were suffering from. And so first of all, leprosy was seen as something that was highly contagious, and in fact, if someone who suffered from this disease brushed up against the clothes, they, they expected that those clothes could get you sick. If they were in a house, that the house would be considered as though it was now unclean because they had seen transmission of this disease happen from that kind of inter interaction. So someone who had leprosy was expected to stay away from the houses, stay away from other people, stay away from their loved ones. 
for fear that this disease might spread. And the way that this disease, it, it would dry out the skin and, and the people's skin where it was affected by leprosy, it would be described as having the look of scales because the skin would begin to crack, it would begin to lift up a little bit, it would dry out and, and the skin as it dries out would kind of have that white color and leprosy in the Old Testament was described that the, that the leprosy was as white as snow because that's how hard it dried out. And when that skin would dry out, it would become incredibly itchy. And leprosy is a disease not just of the skin, but it was a disease of the nervous system, and it would affect their ability to feel their limbs. And so as they they would itch, at first it would be painful, but the pain would give way to numbness, and you know that when you lose sensitivity and feeling in a limb, that is when you're at the greatest danger for risk. People would end up losing limbs because there's a loss of sensitivity, and injuries would happen. They wouldn't realize that it was infected. It wouldn't be cared for properly and it would get worse and worse. And so there's the physical discomfort of the disease, there's the the fear of infecting someone else. And I think maybe our time and our generation now has a greater understanding of the effects of isolation and what it can have on people. I mean, having gone through COVID was hard enough for a short season, but if you can begin to just even imagine the difficulty of not just be being quarantined from your neighbors and your schoolmates and the people that you work with, but even if you were, were stricken by this disease, you would be removed from your household and removed from your family. That from a distance you could yell to them, but it would be months, it would be years, it would be the rest of your life potentially where you could never feel the warmth of that embrace again. The effect of leprosy was not just an uncomfortable disease, but the effect of leprosy was losing all of the things that you loved, all of the people that you cared about while you were still alive and able to sit and think about it. People would leave food for you out so that you could come and get it, but they wouldn't directly give it to you. And even if you had to move through the streets at any point, you were expected to cry out unclean so that people would part and they by accident brush against anyone. The effects of leprosy were both physically and emotionally destructive as well as spiritually because the the primary thinking was that this disease was given to people as a punishment for sin. And there were times where God did that. There were times when he would use it to correct, but there are times that people would just be sick. But the thinking was expanded beyond that to say, if you had this, you have it because God is judging you. And the only way that you will ever be healed is if God acts and heals you. And so these 10 men that, that are in this situation, they, they are crying out, they are screaming out this prayer to Jesus. And, and it, it says that they stood at a distance because I told you, they, they can't get close. They can't draw near. It's not like other circumstances where, it, where they, someone could get close enough to Jesus to reach out. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Master, have pity on us. When it comes to imperfect thank yous or imperfect prayers, I think that this is a very simple one. And in your spiritual life, you might have a sense that, you know, if I'm going to be around church before I get there, I have to learn all of the things and I have to know the right prayers. I have to know the right way to pray. I want to tell you, God's concern about, about your prayer and your type of prayer and the things that you know, it's not about the behaviors, which is like the skin level. It's the deeper level. It's where is your heart? Because you can pray the most simple 
short, quick prayer. But if your heart is turned towards God, that is the type of prayer that turns God's head. You can pray the most eloquent, historical, theologically accurate prayer. It can be a 30-minute monologue of a prayer, and the kingdom of heaven will take no notice to it. Because it was a performance rather than a heart screaming out to God. And the type of prayers that God answers is when we get real and our heart just speaks to him. And I think that we also have to defeat this kind of sense of God, God will answer my prayer when I get my stuff together, when I'm no longer hurting about it, when, when I've healed from the things that have happened, then once I have healing, then I can pray and then I can finally bring God into it. And, and we know that as I say that from the pulpit, that that kind of thinking doesn't make sense. God needs to be there at the beginning. Like he is the real source of healing. He is the real source of hope. And we know that here, but we get trapped in these cycles of behavior that are self-destructive that says, I'm gonna heal this up on my own for a while, and then eventually I'm gonna bring God into it. But leprosy, like other disease, leprosy, like the effect of sin, the longer that we keep God's hand out of it and the longer that we let it fester and take, take control and take root in our body, the harder it is to heal, the more damage it does, the more time is wasted. So rather than trying to just work your way out of the cycle, rather than trying to dig your way out of the pit that you've fallen into, cry out to God, even in an imperfect way, even in a way, man, I'm gonna tell you, God loves the prayer when you're trapped in addiction where you say, God, I can't get out of this by myself. God, it's gonna happen again. I need you, I need community, I need you to act. And when your heart really is, I love that the passage includes the fact they cried out in a loud voice. Because first of all, they're, they're a long ways away. They had to cry out with a loud voice. But they weren't thinking just maybe. They were like, I have, to, I have to scream to him. I have to get his attention. There's an opportunity that's passing here where there's Jesus. Like he, he, I can see him. I know that he's there. And I'm not gonna just with a, with a quiet, hey Jesus, maybe, maybe you could. No, their prayer was Jesus, have mercy on us. What a beautiful, simple, imperfect prayer. And when you don't know how to pray because of what's been happening in your life, you don't know how to pray because what's been happening in your soul, you don't know how to pray because what's been happening in your family, just that heartfelt, Jesus, have mercy on me. I mean, when it flows from your heart to the throne of God, there is power in that prayer and you don't have to be eloquent. As, as these men are crying out and, and they're screaming in, in, a, a, big, in a loud voice, I, I want you to see that like, they were powerless. They didn't have any chips on the table. We get prayer and, and expressions of speaking with God. We get things twisted because we, we anthropomorphize God. Like we throw human qualities onto God where we think he needs to be bribed. Can I tell you that God is not like you? And that's good news. 
that might seem like bad news to some of us, <laughs> but no, it really is good news that he's not like you, that he doesn't deal with people like you, because there's a sense in our psychology that says, I need to do some stuff to prove it to God first. I need to do some stuff to, to earn it to God, and so we try to like make deals with him. Some of you guys don't pray much, but maybe like a couple weeks ago, you were praying when the lotto hit two billion, and you're like, God, if you would just... If you bless me, then I, you know, Gulf Side is built and I'll, there'll be an orphanage and I'll take care of people and I'll, I'll, I'll be generous with my finances for the first time ever. And, and, and you feel like if I make a deal with God, then he'll act. You're like, God, if you'll just work in this one area, then I'll finally start to serve or I'll finally start to use the gifts that you've put in me. If God, you will just do this. And it's like, I, it's like tit for tat, like I, I'll pay you back, God. I want to tell you, that's not how God operates. The best thing is like, it's because you could never pay God back. And I don't just mean in quantity, I mean in essence. And this is a theological thing that is important to grab a hold of. Like, I understand I'm nitpicky, I'm a pastor, but hear me, this is important. When you do something good for the kingdom of God, like authentically, like when you do something great for the kingdom of God, it wasn't by your power that you did it. And so if you have this sense of like, God, if you will answer this prayer, then I will do this thing. Well, if you do this thing and it's actually for the kingdom of God, it's God who empowered you. And so you just did something on his power. So you just owe him even more. Like every time something to serve God, you owe him more because it's his power that has, has enabled you to do that. When you use a spiritual gift, which this is a beautiful thing about spiritual gifts, you have a spiritual gift, but your spiritual gift is not for you. Like if you have the gift of service, if you have the, the gift of hospitality, when you are showing hospitality to someone else, that gift that is that God has given you is being used to serve someone else. And so your gift is not for you and your gift is not fueled by you, it's fueled by God himself. And so like the, the, the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, like how, daily, how we're a debtor to grace daily. Like I, I love that line within the song, that, that what, what a debtor to grace I am because it's just grace upon grace in our life. And so, when you think about giving thanks to God, if by some chance you feel like I would be more thankful to God, but I just do so much for him all the time, he really should be writing me a thank you card. Like I don't express a lot of gratitude to God because I just, I don't sin much anymore and I serve at church and I play music or I speak on stage or I write big checks or I do whatever. Like listen to me, if you do any of that stuff and it's authentically for the kingdom of God, it is fueled by the Holy Spirit. It is a work that is not your own. And so you have put yourself into even greater debt and, and the spiritually mature understanding the, the person who has studied and approved in scripture and handling the word of God, each time they serve, they're just gonna be like, thank you God that I got to do that like the act of service it won't puff you up it will actually point you right back to the cross and say how amazing is the father's love I'm getting ready to 
I'm getting ready to, to hide a Lego in your kitchen for Thanksgiving. You ready? You're going to be barefoot. You're going to find it. You're going to be mad. You're going to be stupid Paul. When we serve someone for the kingdom of God, we don't get prideful because we understand that this is a blessing to get to serve. And so when you're serving people and you're taking care of people at Thanksgiving time, maybe you are doing all the work and maybe people are watching football when they should be in the kitchen and your ego is getting hurt by it. And rather than just communicating calmly, because you should tell them to get up off of their butt and help out. Like I'm not saying not to, but I'm saying your attitude. Are you serving God as you serve people? Or are you giving your license? I did all of this. And they did nothing. And now they need to worship at my feet. They need to express gratitude over and over because of all that I have done. Me, 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 me. Does thanksgiving become about you as you serve other people? Or is it an opportunity to express your love to God and love to people? Now don't mishear me, man. This is not for you to be like, hey, you're just supposed to love God and you do all the work while I enjoy the football game on Thanksgiving Day. No, you get up off of your butt and you serve her the way that Christ served the church. You carry your load. Amen? There's always more women in that kind of an amen than men. (laughs) But as we serve others, as we use the gifts for hospitality, for service, it should all point us back to that fact of God has done so much. Like this is, this is a blessing to show hospitality. This is a blessing to serve. This is a blessing to be able to, because this is the nature of God. God does not need us to get it together. God does not need us to start our healing. God is the one who gives all of that. And this, this is a truth within the passage. This is a truth that we see on display. It just seems to be the way that God has programmed things spiritually and physically to work in the, wor- in, in the world. Did you notice that it said that they, when they experienced healing, it wasn't just at the, the speech that Jesus gave. It wasn't just at the instruction, but the passage said that as they went, like Jesus gave them the instruction, go show yourself to the priest, because this is what would happen. When someone would be healed of leprosy, they didn't just go right back home. There was almost a safety checkpoint and priests were the like filter. Like if anyone gets to catch leprosy, it's you priests, okay? So you go to the priest, you show yourself. If they inspect you and find that you're clean, you get to go back home. And so they were given the steps to, to go through that, that were set up in that culture and community. This is how you get back home. And so Jesus said, start, start heading, go to, go to take those steps. And as they began to take the steps, that's when they experienced healing. This is a spiritual truth. Like I talked about, even crying out in prayer because you're, you're trapped in addiction. Crying out in prayer because you're in the middle of a crisis that you created in your family and you know that it's your fault and you have this sense of, I shouldn't pray because this is my own stupid fault. But when you cry out in the middle of that before you've taken a single step to fix it, it's the, when you begin to take the steps to fix it that God's hand shows up. Like it's when you begin to take the steps of obedience where you see the blessings of God at work. And for these 10 lepers, and there were 10, for the 10 of them, they, they were following Jesus' instructions, heading to take the steps to show themselves as they took those steps that they experienced the healing. And so I reinforce that, 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 that other truth. So there's the truth. We cry out to God in the middle of our mess, expect God to give you a step to take, and expect his answers, his provisions to begin to show up after you start to move. 
after you start to move in the expectation that God's hand is at work. Because the lepers could have heard Jesus' instructions of go and show yourselves to the priest. The scales are still there. Why would I show myself to the priest when I still obviously have leprosy? The problem isn't fixed yet, Jesus. Like at his instruction, show yourself to the priest. The problem was still there. But they received instructions from Jesus, and so what do they go with? Do, do they go with their perception of the circumstances? Or do they go with the instructions of the word of God? And I think that we, we get things mixed up, and it's like we pray the distress, and we want God to fix everything before we act. And I want to tell you, obedience to the word of God is always going to lead you towards his will. Like if you ever have questions of like, how do I find God's will for my life? Like I have a need, I have a crisis, I have a point where I need God to act. Begin to analyze and look, am I walking in his ways? Because when you walk in his ways, you find his will. And as those 10 men began to walk in the way that they were instructed to walk, that is when they found healing. It was when they took action. But this is where the passage turns from just being about prayer and Jesus' incredible miracle-working power. It's where it changes from obedience to Jesus' instructions, where it turns to gratitude. Because out of 10 people who they had lost their life, they had lost their family, they had lost their ability to put their arms around their loved ones, they had lost their homes, they had probably about lost their hope, and they were given it all back. And I am, like, I can't imagine anything more exciting than that. That if you had family, if you had kids to get back to, like, you would have been running to the priest as healing started. You would have been, would have been running home. But there was something in one of their hearts that said, before I get back to any of my blessings, I have to praise God for this. And the way that Jesus twisted the knife in this is that it was it wasn't someone who should have known to come and praise God. It was a Samaritan. It was someone who was culturally looked at as they theologically didn't have it together. They, they, they've, they've gone outside of the kingdom and they've married other nationalities. they brought foreign gods into their household. And these are people who deserve judgment. It was a Samaritan who came back and praised God. And Jesus asked the question, weren't all ten healed? Where are the other nine? And I don't know how good you are with statistics, but if there's a likelihood that 90% of the population will do something, your mind probably clicks and says, I probably typically fall in the 90% of what people do. But there was one 10% that rather than just running back to everything that they wanted, they said, you know what? God has to be worshiped in this. God deserves to be worshipped in this. And there's great blessings like right around the corner. But I've got to just hit stop first. And I want to challenge you. That as we approach Thanksgiving and there's so many places where you will see the word thank, thankful, thankfulness, gratitude. Choose to be one out of ten on this. Because there's so many meals that will get started without any 
acknowledgement that every piece of food that is on our table, it comes from God's hand and it is a blessing from him. And it's right for us to stop. And so I want to give you a guide. I want to give you just a couple quick thoughts. If you have a pen, um, get ready to write down a couple passages that I want you to reference back to this later this week. At Thanksgiving, this is the simple practical challenge of application. We will put this up on our social media on Thanksgiving Day, so you can find it there if you lose it. If you have a phone, get ready to take some notes. I just want you to jot some passage references, some Bible passage references down. Um, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14. And what, what this is, is I'm going to give you uh, about like six different passages. And my challenge to you to help gratitude occur in your household at Thanksgiving is to read these passages before the meal and just ask the question, which passage just stood out to your heart more than the others? And you're going to find that different people in the room will associate with other ones. You're not asking them to interpret it, just saying which one. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, it talks about that we should be thankful that God created us. Psalm 13, 5, it says, my heart shall rejoice because you saved me. And it talks about the salvation and being thankful for salvation. Psalm 54, verse 6, says, I give you thanks because you are good. And expressing gratitude just because of the goodness of God. Um, Psalm 118, verse 21, it says, I praise the Lord for answering my prayers. Some of us have reason to be grateful because we know God is in the business of answering prayers. Psalm 16, verse seven, I praise the Lord because he guides me. Some of us have just come through a season where we know God's hand was guiding us through difficulty and so that might stick out to you because of that, like he's the God who guides us. Psalm 118, verse seven says, because God is good and his faithful love endures forever. Through any difficulty, his faithful love is always there. And Psalm 107, verse eight says, his great, it, we're thankful because of his great love and the wonderful things he has done. And each one of those passages just give voice to different reasons that we have to be thankful. And bands can come, come on out uh, as I wrap this thing up. We have so many reasons to be grateful. We have so many reasons to be thankful, but we have such a natural compulsion to just move towards the blessing rather than the one who blessed us. We have this natural compulsion to be shy because we're afraid our thank you card to God is gonna, be, is gonna come out like, God, thank you for not making your meatloaf anymore. But we know that even an imperfect thank you is better than no thank you at all. And this is the challenging truth that you know. The thankfulness that is felt, that is not expressed, is really no, difference, no different than ingratitude. And we have so many reasons to celebrate. We have so many blessings that we're surrounded by. Now, I was here for the storm too. We all walked through a storm and I understand there's damage on the house, but we have reason to still be thankful. We have breath in our lungs, we have reason to still be thankful. But we have a shyness and we have a history of holding in the expression about these blessings that we've been given that we have to overcome. And so there's one tool, there's a thousand more out there. Be the one who speaks up at Thanksgiving and says, let's just give God thanks for these blessings that are on the table. Let's just give God thanks for the people that we have here today that we can put our arms around. 
Let's just give God thanks that his goodness endures forever. In fact, let's read these passages. Which one of these sticks out to your heart? And celebrate. And all of a sudden, you will see other hearts around your table speaking in worship to God in a moment that could have just been passing through. Just like the other nine who are heading to their blessings, heading to their, their seats, heading to their place settings, heading to their favorite foods that have been prepared at a holiday that they enjoy, and no worship of God. But you have the opportunity to open up this moment of worship. but you have to overcome the shyness and fear. So I'm gonna pray for courage to express what I know is in your heart because God is so good and he is so worthy and your words hold power. So let's express them. Father, stand with me as we pray. Father, as we worship and as we sing, as we enter into this week of thankfulness and thanksgiving, Would you open our eyes to the importance and the power of just saying what is in our heart? And even if it's imperfect, even if it doesn't come out right, just help us to speak because you are worthy of the effort and the attempt. Help us to cry out in that loud voice that God, you are worthy. You are good, you are love, you are healing. Even when we don't have the most eloquent words, we know that you celebrate in heaven when we express that heart. So help us to just open our heart up and worship to you in Jesus' name.